You know, I was thinking about this. It's, it's a difficult day for me. But I have to trust. I have to trust in a God that I can't see, but who loves me and who cares for me. Loves my wife, cares for my wife. He sees beyond what our eyes can see. So God, use me in spite of me today because I am one broken person. Speak through my brokenness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, if you're here today, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. You are here today. I know you are here today. I'm here today. I'm speaking to myself. Hey, folks, listen. I, I just want to tell you, your words of encouragement for me today and my wife have meant a lot to us. We're family, and we're going to see, continue to see in Ephesians how we're tied together. And we're going to continue to worship together and grow together and walk together. And when one of us can't take a step, the person next to us grabs us and says, walk with me. We're joined together. We're, we're knitted together. That's what Paul's been telling us. Last week, he told us to put some things off. He told us that this is who you used to be. This is the old person that you are. In, in Ad, we're in Adam. So you put that off. He talked to us about a point in time how we put off Adam. That's sin. And then he talked about putting on the garment of Christ, putting on the newness of who Jesus is, that old things are passed away and everything that's become new. And, and oftentimes we go back and live in something that God's taken us out of. And he doesn't want us to live in that anymore because he took us out of a life and put us in another life. We change domains, we change teams, we change families. So this is who we are over here. You don't have to dip back into this life and live the old life. You were made new. So he talked about last week putting off the old man, putting on the new person, which is Jesus Christ. And because of that, today, not only have we put off and we put on, but there are things that we put away today. There are things that a believer in Christ puts away. It's a settled issue. And Paul's going to talk to us about some things today that are going to be so relevant in all of our lives. You will probably never hear another Mother's Day message out of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 25. That's where we are today. And God knew you would be here. God knew in January that I would start the book of Ephesians. And he knew that you would be here on Mother's Day. And so he's sovereign. He has providence. Which one is it? Yes, both. Thank you very much. So Paul says something very important to everybody in this room. That because of who you are in Jesus Christ, things have changed. One of the things that happened to me years and years ago, I wore some tennis shoes and I was, uh, they had a lot of that tread and texture under them, so all, all kinds of dirt would stick and all kinds of mud would stick, and so I went jogging, this was years ago, <clears throat> and when I went jogging, somehow I stepped in something that smelled. And when I stepped in something that smelled, everywhere I went, there was a smell. And it took me two days to figure out that the smell was on me. I was wearing the smell. 
And so I went into my car and I said, you know, it just stinks in here. It just smells bad. And then I would go take my shoes off and then the closet would smell bad. And then I'd put them on the next day and I would walk across the carpet and the carpet would smell bad. And so finally I realized that I had stepped in some mess somewhere And rather than power washing the shoes, rather than cleaning the shoes, I had to take the old shoes and throw them away. I had to buy a brand new pair, which is a challenge for me, buy a brand new pair of shoes and wear those. That's what Paul's saying. Paul told us in 17 through 24 of chapter 4 that you need to get rid of the smell of sin. It stinks. You no longer are wearing these shoes. You now have a new pair of shoes. Now, because he said that, look at what the text says, starting in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul tells us in verse 25 to put away telling tales and put on telling the truth. Do you have a problem telling the truth? You shouldn't if you're a Christian in Jesus Christ. We need to learn to tell the truth because the truth will become hard if it's not softened by love, but love will become soft if it's not strengthened by truth. So Paul says that now that we are in Jesus Christ and we're wearing a new pair of shoes, that we now tell the truth. Did you know that exaggeration is a sin? Did you know lying was a sin? It is. One time I was eating uh, dinner, and my son said, uh, I, was, I was pastoring in Tennessee. We sat down to eat, and he said, Dad, you told a lie today. I, I uh, choked up my roast beef, and I said, what do you mean? He said, you exaggerated the story, and that's lying. And so he was exactly right. Exaggeration is lying. Paul says that there's something that should characterize our lives as believers now that we have a new pair of shoes on and they don't stink. They're new. The garment of Jesus is new. So there's some things that we put away. And one of the things that we put away is lying. See, here's what lying does. When you lie, you have to cover that which you just said. And you have to remember what you lied about because the next time you speak, you got to cover that lie. And when you have covered that lie, you're going to have to remember three or four days later when somebody brings something up that you got to tell another lie. So here's the issue of the gospel. The gospel points us to the truth of who Jesus is. And when we lie, we don't face reality. We create our own reality. That's what lying does. It creates our own reality. Now, for those of us that are in Jesus Christ and we have put on truth, which is the embodiment of who Jesus is, we have created a a reality that's in Jesus Christ. We have not created our own reality, but the reality of the truth that Jesus is who he said he is. So Paul says you no longer have to lie anymore. You can be represented by the truth of Jesus, which is in you. So we need to make sure that we are people that are truth-telling. We just tell the truth. And one of the things we tell the truth about is we tell the truth about sin. Because when we didn't know Jesus as our Savior, sin dominated us. and sin ran our lives and when we would try to outrun sin we could never outrun it because it ran with us because sin was in us but now that we have understood the reality of the truth of who Jesus is and we've bowed before him and trusted him as our savior we no longer have to lie but we live in the new shoes of the truth of who Jesus is So I want to tell you this morning, as a believer in Christ, put away telling tales and tell the truth about who Jesus is. 
That's important to understand. That's what Paul says. Truth is all wrapped up in who Jesus is. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. At Penn State, there was a major issue of cover-up. There were children that were being sexually abused, and people were lying and people were cheating, and people were covering up everything that they could cover up so that a a particular individual who is now behind bars would not be exposed. So there was lie after lie after lie after lie. And any time that you lie, what happens is people, children, pay the price. In this situation, children were being abused. So part of telling the truth is we expose the injustice of people who bear the image of Jesus Christ and who's God's name and who understand the truth of who Jesus is. So we stand up in the truth for people who can't stand for themselves. Now listen, we are all Penn State. I want to say it very clearly. We are all Penn State. The church of Jesus Christ has become silent. We have become silent on issues where we should speak the truth. And now we speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. So let me speak the truth. We stand for life. We stand against abortion. Because abortion is taking the lives of people who are made in the image of God. We... We stand against human trafficking. We stand against verbal abuse and uh, physical abuse because we have now put on the truth of who Jesus is and we are a mouthpiece for the Messiah. And we can't be silent about issues. We have to speak the truth, but we have to speak the truth in love because Jesus said that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but my me. So we quit telling tales when we become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and we start speaking the truth. And that's what Paul says. This is something about who you are now. You speak the truth in love. So then he says, look at what he's leading up to. I didn't write this, so if you send me an email, I'm going to say, Paul wrote it. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, here we go. Be angry and do not sin. What that means is this. Anger is not a sin. Anger is a God-given emotion that God has given us that should rise up in us when injustice is being done. So when we see human trafficking, when we hear about abortion, the taking of lives and the killing of children and people's lives that are at stake here, we stand in the truth and we should be angry about that. We should have emotions that well up. Be angry is in the present tense and it's a command. It means it's an imperative. It means that's what happens to us Because we now have a new spirit inside of us and a new nature that gives us the ability to be angry. Now be careful here because angry, unchecked, and anger that smolders can move into an action that's ungodly. But Paul tells us right here to be angry. It's okay to be angry. And so Paul tells us to be angry, but don't sin. And so what he's talking about here is there's a fine line with sin and anger. Let me see if I can give you something that will help you. Put away abusive anger and put on accomplishing anger. For those of us in Jesus Christ, put away abusive anger, use our tongue to bless people, and put, away, put on accomplishing anger. So before Christ, there was our inability to be angry at sin without sinning. You see, before we met Jesus, we couldn't be angry at sin. Do you know what Paul is saying here when he says be angry? 
He's talking about be angry with those things that anger God. God hates sin. Sin angers him. Sin separates us from Jesus Christ. So we are to be angry at sin. Never the person, the sinner, but we are to be angry at sin. And for some reason, we in the church have become very, very passive in our nature when Paul tells us, no, you should be angry. This is an imperative. This is a command, and do not sin. Let me give you three things about anger. First of all, the first thing we do is we repress it, repress it. And it's a denial. We deny that we're angry, and we think it's going to go away. Something sets us off. And we get angry about it, and we just deny the fact that we're angry. Can I tell you something? You are burying your anger alive inside of you. If you don't express your anger in a healthy way, you are burying your anger alive. That's exactly what it means. Repress anger. So we just deny it. We think it's going away. But actually, it gets deep down inside of us, which leads to the second thing. We suppress our anger. Suppressing the anger means the anger is there, it's inside of us, we haven't dealt with it in a healthy nature, and we let it silently nurture and simmer. So we swallow the anger, listen carefully, we swallow the anger, but it needs to be removed because if, it builds, if it's going to build up, it's going to blow up in us, and so it'll come out in a way that's not good. And so what happens is it gets drained off when you have a suppressing anger, it gets drained off in someone that is less threatening. Let me give you an example. If an employer chews out an employee, let's say you get chewed out at work as the employer, as the employee, you get chewed out at work, and you want to keep your job so you don't say anything to your boss how you're feeling. You don't address the issue. So what you do is you stuff the anger. And so what you do is you, is you go home to a wife who greets you at the door and she says, hey, honey, how's your day? And you snarl at her because you've stuffed your anger and your anger is simmering and your anger is going to come out in the way you express yourself. And so your wife who wants to greet you and says, hey, honey, how's it going? She has an opportunity at that moment. Either she can stuff the anger that she feels towards you in your response or she can snarl back. So she decides, I'll stuff the anger. I'll suppress the anger. She gets with her teenage son later on who's doing just fine, and she snaps at him. And rather than saying and expressing what he's feeling, he takes it and stuffs it. And it goes out to the sister and out on Barbie, and then the Barbie's head's taken off later on. Do you understand what we're saying here? I'm telling you, Paul says, be angry. Look at the text. Be angry, but don't sin. Here's the problem. We're angry at the wrong things today. We should be angry at the things that God is angry at, and God is angry at sin. So we should use our mouth to tell the truth about who Jesus is and take our stand for people who are living in injustice, and we seek the truth. We are the truth because of who we are in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Let me go a little deeper. How many marriages have been destroyed because a mom or a dad were angry at each other. Let's just get down to brass tacks today. How many of you grew up in a home where it was World War III and there was anger and, it's, and this anger took root and nobody dealt with the anger issue so therefore it came out and it built up and it blew up and the whole family blew up with it. And you as a child, how many of you are a product of angry moms and dads? And so now that you know, you tell me that anger isn't, isn't damaging? 
Anger's damaging. Anger's a God-given emotion that he gives us to be angry at the right things and not to sin when that anger becomes an action that is not of God. So we have to express our anger in a healthy way. And that's what Paul is talking about. Be angry, but don't sin. Sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. So here's what the text says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. Okay, so what that means is that the sun is going to go down and you're angry and you're suppressing that anger and you're thinking, well, I've got till midnight or I've got till the sun goes down to deal with the anger. That's not what the text means. You know what the text means? Deal with your anger immediately. In other words, you may not be able to face the person that hurt you during the day. So what Paul is saying, when you lay your sweet head on the pillow at night before the Lord and before you, you deal with your angry emotions. You deal with the issues in your life because the person that lied against you and the person that cheated against you, they're not going to be there face to face with you. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down. You get before God and you let God deal with you and you let him love on you and you let forgiveness flow out of his heart to your heart and then the forgiveness that comes from his heart to your heart can now flow from your heart to somebody else's heart and they won't even know they've been forgiven. That's what Paul's saying. Be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You say, well, if somebody offends me at midnight, then I've got the whole night, the whole morning, and that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't let those embers, uh, don't, let them, don't let it become an issue in your life where you don't deal with things. So we know that anger, we live in an angry world, do we not? Listen, the only person that controls anger in my life and in your life is Jesus Christ. He's loving, he's kind, but Jesus had anger, but he had anger toward the right things. He flipped over tables when they were messing with his house, and his house should be called a house of prayer. He didn't go in and say, now fellas, he flipped tables, and he ran them out because he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We need to get back to the issue of the issue of the issue, which is make sure that we're angry at sin and not angry at people. We need to make sure that Jesus controls our tongue. We need to make sure that we quit telling tales and start telling the truth. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, 27, here's what he says. Nor let the devil, nor give place to the devil or give opportunity to the devil. So Satan uses angry Christians. He uses angry Christians, and if you've ever gone rock climbing, you know the one thing that you look for is a foothold. The one thing that you look for, my wife and I watched a uh, documentary the other day of a, a guy, I can't remember, he's fa a famous climber. He climbed Yosemite or El Capitan 3,000 something feet high without a rope. And the whole documentary, he was talking about how he looks for a foothold. And so you look for that place where you can get a foothold. Listen, Satan looks for angry Christians, Christians who are angry, not at sin, but their anger is out of control. And then he takes the foothold there, and then he creates havoc. And he takes something and makes it much more of an intense situation because sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Don't tell me that anger hasn't caused churches to split. Anger has caused marriages to split. Anger has caused children not to be able to talk to their parents. So we have to understand what Paul's saying. Be angry, but don't sin. And the only one that can give us that dividing line and that intuition is Jesus Christ himself. 
Man, use your passion, but use your passion in a directive to make sure that you're walking with Jesus. Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity to take a foothold because he will. Now, here's what the text says. It's like, are you sure you're reading this right? I am. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. So he tells us to put away telling tales, put on telling the truth, put away abusive anger, put, away a, put on accomplishing anger, and then he says put away stealing and put on sharing. See, you're thinking of the bubble gum that you stole from 7-Eleven across the street years ago. That's what some of you are thinking. And I did. I stole it. I did. I can't go make that right, but I stole bubble gum. I did. And I swallowed it. I'm pro- it's probably still in me. That's what they say. But let me tell you what Paul does. He's not talking about an object. He's talking about stewardship here. He's talking about our lives. See, some of you can be stealing from your employer because you don't punch in and punch out at the right time. You're sketchy with that. You have somebody else do it. Or maybe you go to work and you give a half-hearted performance at work. You're stealing. Paul says, put away stealing. Put away anything that has to do with stealing because stealing is all about you. Listen, this is what's important. Your passion for Jesus should determine your performance at work. I'm going to say it again. Your passion for Jesus should determine your performance at work. Your employer should be saying, let's hire all Christians because of the way that they work. You can steal and think you're not stealing an object, but you're stealing time. See, see there's, that's important to understand here. Paul says stealing You have nothing to do. Put away from stealing because that's who you were. You wanted everything for yourself. Now Paul says, here's what he says. Put on hard work and put on something that you can give to someone who has in need. Put away stealing, put on sharing. Do I have to say it? We're a church that gives and we don't even pass the offering plates. Seriously, we don't beg. We don't beg for money because our God's not a beggar. We simply have offering receptacles. If the Lord tells you to give, we believe he can tell you what to give. And he's responsible for blessing you. Because if I tell you what to give, then the responsibility of blessing is on me. And I don't want that responsibility. I just want you to get in touch with the Lord and then let him bless you in a way that you can share with other people. Do you see what Paul's saying? We become a giving people. When I think of Envision, and I think of the $12 million, and I think of the kids and and all the lemonade they've sold, uh, stolen, all the, li- <laughs> all the lemonade they've sold, and, and the April showers, and all that stuff, and the garage sale, and all that stuff. I'm still excited, but I'm not excited, excited as much about the amount as I am what God's going to do in the midst of all of us coming together and saying, you know what? Let's put on Christ, and let's ask God to do what he can do through our body. Just let it be that we don't have to beg for anything. We just trust God. So envision is bigger than us, but God is bigger than envision. So whatever God gives to you, he wants to land it in your life so you can receive it so that you wouldn't hold on to it so you can release it for somebody. We receive from God, we release. We receive, we release. We receive, we release. That's what putting on sharing is all about. Helping hands ministry, uh, missions, all that we do here to do missions and 30% of our budget goes to missions because we don't service any debt and we don't borrow any money. We just want God to be God here and do whatever God wants to do, but we know that our God's a giver. So we don't want to be someone who's always depleting. We want to be someone who replenishes in others' lives. 
So I would just ask you the question this morning, what is it that you need to give? Because if you're not stealing, Paul says that we should put on sharing. We should put on giving. And we have tons of ministries where people minister grace to people. So here's what Paul says, number, number four here in verse 29. Maybe this will be good on Mother's Day. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Evidently in Ephesus, they had a language problem. They had a problem with their tongue. So Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means to be rotten, to have a rotten image. And so the idea would be that people were saying some things that they shouldn't be saying, but they were in Jesus Christ. So evidently in the tense of the verb here, this progress is already going on, and Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Here's the important thing to to remember about our words. Our words matter. We live in a word-centered society. Our words have texture. Our words have clarity. Our words have focus. God spoke the world into existence. It is a word-centered existence. And so Paul says, let no corrupt thing come out of your mouth. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. So you want to bless people with your words. You don't want to curse people with your words. You want to bless them. So the idea here is put off, put away tearing down people and put on building them up. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So your words of grace are like verbal angels to somebody's life. When you speak words that are intentional, when you speak words that are controlled and dominated by the Spirit of God, those words that have color and those words that have texture are like verbal angels to the hearer. And so we're to impart grace to the hearers of our words. And it shouldn't be our words. It should be the words that God has given us to build somebody up and not tear them down. How many children have torn their mama down with their words? How many children have been controlled by the Spirit of God and built their mother up with the words that they've said? Think about that. The power of words. We can curse, we can bless. Paul says, don't let any corrupt words come out of your mouth because your words have texture. They have meaning. And our universe is word-centered, so we need to be careful as people who are wearing new shoes now that we have a new tongue and a new language to speak, and that language is one of blessing. So the next time, You want to say something in the flesh. Here's what it's like. It's like a tube of toothpaste. When it comes out, when that toothpaste comes out, you can't ever get those words back. You can't. You can ask forgiveness. But be careful. Here's a a word. Here's something I've used over the years. I count to 10, literally in my heart. Before, If somebody's upset with me, I count to 10. And I say, God, I want you to respond through me. I know what my flesh can do. And I know I can take them. I got that. I can. But I want my words to be honorable to you. I will give an account for every idle word that I've spoken, and we will give an account for the words that we speak. So Paul says in a church, in a setting like this, that we should be people that bless each other with our words and encourage each other with our words. What if this message got to Washington, D.C.? 
Do you think it would change Washington, D.C.? Because all we hear is corrupt over here and corrupt over here and corrupt over here. And you said this and you did this and you're going to get this and I'm going to impeach you and I'm going to do this. Listen to me. If we as a church and we as a people in America could let Jesus control and touch our tongue, revival could break out in our world. It really could. So use your words. So moms... We bless you today. But I want to say this very clearly. Mother's Day is not just today. Mother's Day is every day. Resurrection power is every day. Don't tell me that Mother's Day is one day out of the year. You can honor your mother every day of her life, every day that she lives, because God is in control of your mouth and your tongue. Now, here's where we're going to the deep end of the pool. And I've already had to deal with some issues in my heart before I got here on this one because... The way I teach is the way I study, and the way I study is just when I need to repent, I ask God to make it clear to me that there's some things out of line. So here's what Paul says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. We're coming home with this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit seals us in salvation. He puts a lid over our salvation. We can't be taken out of that. Nothing can pluck us out of the Father's hands. So the Holy Spirit, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Stealing, lying, having a tongue that's out of control. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you what grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Anything that is unholy grieves the Holy Spirit. Anything that is unholy, anything in my life, anything in your life that is unholy, that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he says, let all bitterness, look at the text, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's what he says to put on. Put that away, and here's what he says to put on. And be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice what he said there in verse 32. I want you to look at it again. It does not say, it does not say in the text, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. It says, even as God in Christ forgave you. Some of you are struggling with unforgiveness in your heart. There's some moms here. There's some dads here. There's some children here that you say, I understand that I'm supposed to put away bitterness and malice and all these things. I know I'm supposed to do that. But I'll never forget what happened to me. God's not asking you to forget. He's asking you to learn to forgive because you're in Jesus Christ. Because Christ was so caring and so loving and so kind to you that he made a choice to forgive you. So when somebody hurts you and somebody wounds you, you don't have to take that wound and that hurt to the grave. In fact, some of you are in bondage to a corpse today because you're still bitter and mad over somebody who's been gone for years. Can I tell you something? Look at this. Listen to this. Let Jesus free you today from your bitterness and your pain and your hurt. Because in Christ, he will do that. 
you never focus on the person that hurt you. You focus on the Savior who you didn't deserve his forgiveness and I didn't deserve his forgiveness. But yet when we focus on him, it's a whole lot easier to forgive someone else because our focus is not on the one that hurt us. It's on the one who helped me get to salvation. And if I can get to him, then he can get me through anything with forgiveness of anybody else. Now this is important because some of you need to release you need to let it go, and you've been trying, and you say, here, Freeman, and I close with this. Again, I close with this. How do I do that? You can't. You've been trying. You can't do it. You have to bow before the one who is all forgiveness and who's all truth. And you have to say, God, I don't want to forgive my mom. I don't want to forgive my dad. I don't want to forgive my children. I don't want to forgive my coworker. I don't want to forgive anybody. I am mad at the world. And God says, good. Now confess me as your savior. And I'm going to give you a power inside of you to forgive people that you don't even love and don't even like and don't even want to forgive. That's how powerful the gospel is. That's what the text says. I promise you, I'm not making it up. Forgive one another, even as God in Christ, in Christ, forgave you. Any of you watched The Karate Kid when you were younger? You remember Mr. Miyagi? He was trying to make this karate champion of this guy named Daniel LaRusso. And in order to make him a karate champion, he made him do a bunch of household chores. <laughs> you know, wax on, wait, wax off, paint the fence. And finally... Daniel said, enough is enough is enough. I want to be a karate champion, and this is not helping me. But yet, the very things he was doing were transforming him outwardly to be a champion inwardly. So he had to work really, 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 really hard on the outside so that he could be what he needed to be on the outside, on the inside, on the outside. Now watch this. People have told you all your life, work really hard, work really hard at forgiveness, work really hard at being nice, work really hard at not lying, work really hard at don't be angry, don't work really hard at that. Can I tell you something? That's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't tell you to work hard. The Bible says to surrender to the one who will give you the power to do what you can't do. It's not Mr. Miyagi, work hard, work hard, work hard. It's trust Jesus for the power to do what you can't do. Because I'm going to tell you, if you tell me today, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be bitter, I'm going to be angry, I'm not going to go to lunch and pay for anybody's meal, so I am not putting on sharing. Listen, you won't make it till Monday at 10 a.m., with that kind of attitude. But if you'll get up in the morning on Monday and say, God, I can't love, I can't not be angry, and you'll confess what you can't do in your flesh, and you'll confess what you can do because you put on the new shoes of Jesus Christ, you'll find a miraculous Monday in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, Mother's Day this year would be a great day to do it. For moms who need Jesus, would you receive the free gift? Jesus already paid for your salvation. Dads, children, it's a free gift. Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness. All you have to do is bow in faith to him. If you're here and you've already done that, there's a good chance some of you in this room are bitter. God wants to make you better today. He wants to heal open wounds 
And he wants to secure them up today so that you can walk out of here free. Whatever decision you have to make, we have a connection room. Right as you leave on Mother's Day, and I know you're thinking food and family and all that, but why not settle the spiritual issue before you leave the building today? If you want to trust Christ as your Savior, just take the card in front of you, write your name on there, say, I invited Christ into my heart, or I'm still thinking about it, I'd like to talk to someone, go into the Connection Center, write out these exit doors. If you'd like to join the church, if you just need prayer today, if you're absolutely burdened and broken and hurting, let us pray for you. We have people in there that love you. They've gone through the same things that we've gone through. We're just needy people who need Jesus to touch us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We ask you, bless moms, dads, children. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as we sang before your word was opened, that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do in the lives of people. I pray you'd save the people in this room that need to give their heart to you. People have walked in here bitter, but they're going to come out of this room with forgiveness and freedom like they've never seen before. I pray that you would give them the power and the ability just to say yes to you. You're already drawing them into a love relationship. May they just respond by faith and say yes. Father, we love you today. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in our church. And only you can make Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, real in each of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.